1 Samuel 16-31 reads like an action-packed movie script with David keeping one step ahead of Saul's jealous rage. Twice, David spared Saul's life. Once while the king relieved himself in a cave where David was hiding. David faced a turning point. When David's men tried to persuade him that the Lord had given his enemy into his hand, David stealthily cut off a corner of Saul's robe. Afterward, conviction pricked his heart. He said to his men, The Lord forbid that I should do this thing to my Lord, the Lord's anointed, to put my hand against him, seeing he is the Lord's anointed. The Word of God had already trained David's conscience well. Who or what is training your conscience? I'm Ron Jones, and this is Something Good. Have you ever found yourself at a moral crossroads? Temptation to the left, truth to the right. Hello, I'm Brian Davis, and you're listening to Something Good with Dr. Ron Jones, lead pastor at Atlantic Shores Baptist Church in Virginia Beach, Virginia. Well, Israel found itself at just such a crossroads. God was their king, and yet they asked for, in fact, they demanded a human king. Ron takes us to that story next as he continues his teaching series, Route 66, The Ultimate Road Trip Through the Bible. Visit somethinggoodradio.org to hear any of Ron's messages on demand. That's somethinggoodradio.org. Subscribe to the podcast at Spotify, at Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Now, here's Ron and part two of his Something Good Radio message. First Samuel, which way will you turn? The ultimate turning point in King Saul's life happens in about chapter 15. It tells us that Saul had an army of 210,000 people and he was going up against one of the enemies of Israel, the Amalekites. The Lord told him, fight against the Amalekites and wipe them out completely because when I was bringing the Israelites out of Egypt, they opposed the, the Israelites, the Hebrew people. And this was payback from the Lord. And the Bible tells us that um, that, that Saul handily defeated the Amalekites, but he spared the king, King Agag, and he spared the best of the livestock. And that was the turning point. That was when the Lord was done with Saul as king. There were other times earlier in his life where he selectively obeyed, but the Lord graciously, but, but this time the Lord had had enough of it. And the Lord informed Samuel of what uh, Saul had done. And the Bible tells us that Samuel was angry and he cried to the Lord all night long. And the next day he seeks out Saul. Uh, he learned that Saul had erected a monument to himself at Carmel. I mean, what, what happened to the modest guy, to the humble guy over here? Now he's erecting a monument to himself. And Samuel arrives to Saul, and in chapter 15 and verse 14, he says, what then is this bleating of the sheep in my ears and the lowing of the oxen that I hear? Samuel didn't expect to find any livestock from the Amalekites. He says, what is the sound of the sheep that I hear? And Saul goes on to offer about every excuse that he can. He even blames the people for keeping some of the good livestock. I mean, what leader does that? I mean, this is the beginning of the end for Saul. 
And in the middle of that conversation, Samuel tells Saul, basically, shut up, sit down, and listen to this. And he delivers one of the most sterning rebukes to the king. It's recorded in chapter 15 and verse 22. Listen to this. And Samuel said, has the Lord as great delight in burning offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Yeah, Saul, what are you doing? What are you doing? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice and to listen than the fat of rams. Saul had gone on to make all these religious sacrifices with the livestock as if, you know, that was going to appease God, let alone Samuel. And Samuel says, no, your, your outward religious activity is nothing if you're not willing and able to obey God in the little things. He goes on to say, for rebellion, that's a strong word, rebellion is as the sin of divination. You, you've, been, you've been dancing with the devil here. And presumption is as iniquity and idolatry because you have rejected the word of the Lord. He also has rejected you from being king. Wow. Mark those words. To obey is better than some show, some outward demonstration of uh, religiosity. Saul uh, lost the throne because he didn't heed those words. And he pleaded for mercy, but it was too late. Uh, a pattern of presumption and willfulness had developed in Saul's heart. And maybe it was there from the beginning, disguised by his charm and good looks and some early successes that came his way. This was the last time that Saul was in the presence of Samuel before he died. And just before Saul departed, he grabbed his sword and the Bible says, are you ready for this? He hacked King Agag to pieces to complete the obedience that the Lord had told them. Well, the Spirit of the Lord departed Saul and rested upon a young shepherd boy named David who quickly rose to fame after defeating a Philistine giant named Goliath with a sling and a stone. Yeah, if you didn't already know it, the story of David and Goliath is found in this, this epic book, 1 Samuel. There are so many great stories in this book. And after uh, David's victory over the Philistine giant, the Bible tells us in chapter 18 and verse 8 of 1 Samuel, and the women sang to one another as they celebrated, Saul has struck down his thousands and David his ten thousands. In other words, yay David and boo Saul. And this just ate up Saul. It lit up his anger and his jealousy toward David. And Saul spent the rest of his pathetic life trying to eliminate David and gain back everything he had lost, his position, his popularity, and so forth. Saul doesn't fall off the scene in chapter 16 when it transitions from Saul to David. But chapter 16 through 31 is mostly about David trying to stay one step ahead of Saul who's, who's, who's trying to eliminate David. Samuel anointed David, the youngest son of Jesse, now as king of Israel. And even though David was anointed king, it was approximately 15 years later before he actually sat on the throne. And he illustrates for us just this, this incredible um, patience, waiting upon the providence of God, waiting to act on his anointing. And there's a lesson to be, to be learned there. 
Uh, 1 Samuel 16 through chapter 31 kind of reads like an action-packed movie script with David keeping one step ahead of Saul and his jealous rage. Twice, David spares Saul's life. On one occasion, uh, in chapter 24, and well, 26 actually, uh, David's found in the hills and in the caves, hiding with some of his men. And Saul is hot on his path. And <laughs> you know, talk about the providence of God. Uh, Saul wanders into one of the caves. By the way, I've been to this region in Israel. There are hundreds of caves. And Saul happens to wander into the cave where David and his friends are. And the Bible says Saul was there to relieve himself. Okay? There's a little bit of humor in this. And David's, David's men are saying, David, the Lord has given into your hands your enemy. They wanted, they wanted David to drive a sword into Saul's back. And David inches close to, to Saul. Uh, the Bible says he stealthily cut off a corner of Saul's kingly robe. And immediately, David was convicted in his heart that he had done something wrong. He says to his men, the Lord forbid that I should do this thing to my Lord, the Lord's anointed, to put my hand against him, seeing he is the Lord's anointed. You see, David hadn't assumed the throne yet. Saul was still there, albeit rejected by the Lord as king. It took some time for that transition to take place. And every time I read this story, every time we visit Israel and we imagine, wow, what, what cave was it in this region? I think of David, whose young heart was so trained by the Holy Scriptures and what was right and what was wrong. His conscience was red hot. His conscience was pricked immediately that he had done something wrong. Even if it was just nipping off the edge of the king's robe, far cry from putting a sword in his back. And David is an example of, of, of even a, a young man at this time who uh, was so tight with the Lord and his, his conscience, that alarm system that is inside every one of us, you know, was, was, was hot. And, you know, you can silence your conscience. Repeated disobedience will silence your conscience and sear your conscience to where you can cross a line. Oh, the first time, the alarm bells go off. Second time, oh, it's, this is a lot easier. Third, fourth, you don't, you don't even recognize the line anymore. And you find yourself in a place where you're going, wow, where did I, how did I end up here? I, I, I'm always reminded of David's very well-trained conscience, according to the word of God. He was constantly on the run during these 15 or so years. He had no choice but to trust God with his future. By the way, he wrote many of the Psalms, probably eight or 10 of them, during this time, you know, David, David journaled his thoughts and uh, expressed his emotions in the Psalms. I love the book of Psalms. I can't wait till we get there. It's 150 chapters, longest book in the Bible, but every human emotion you find in the book of Psalms. And whatever you're feeling right now, great joy or despondency, you, you, you can find a psalm uh, to match that, and you can pray that psalm back to God, and you'll always be praying in the will of God. Oftentimes, David would write a psalm during this time in a moment of despondency, and, but by the end of the psalm, he would be praising the Lord again. 
and uh, many of them can be dated back uh, to this time. Still ahead, the second half of today's Something Good Radio message with Dr. Ron Jones, lead pastor at Atlantic Shores Baptist Church in Virginia Beach, Virginia. If you've never visited our website, I encourage you to do so today. We have a great streaming platform for the media ministry of Something Good. You'll also find our digital library where you can search for biblical answers to some of your most challenging questions. Watch, listen, and download for free. That's somethinggoodradio.org. Now, let's get you back to the rest of today's message. First Samuel, which way will you turn? Once again, here's Dr. Ron Jones. Uh, Saul reached his lowest point toward the end of the book in chapter 28. Remember Saul who the Spirit of the Lord rested on him at one point? And uh, Samuel was available to him for spiritual counsel. Why, who wouldn't want that? Now all of that was gone. And when Saul was looking for counsel, chapter 28 tells us that he sought counsel from a witch, a medium in Endor. What a low point in the man's life. Chapter 31 records the tragic death of Saul and his three sons, mortally wounded during a battle with the Philistines on Mount Gilboa. Saul was there knowing that his life was slipping out from him, and he chose to fall on his sword and take his own life. The next day, the Bible says the Philistines came, chopped off his head, stripped the armor off his body, and took it to a place called Beit Shean and pinned it on the wall in a pagan temple. When we travel to Israel, we go to Beit Shean, and we remember the rise and the fall of King Saul. Let me just leave you with a summary of some ideas here. We've touched on this, but what, what do we take with us from 1 Samuel? Number one, choose God's best, not his second best. First, you've got to know what God's best is, and that begins by saturating your mind and your heart with the word of God. Okay? You've got to be in it, reading it. You'll, you'll know the will of God in direct relation to how well you know the word of God. And as it uh, governs your heart and trains your conscience, you'll be able to know what's God's perfect will as opposed to his permissive will. But choose his best, not his second best. Secondly, and I'll just grab this from uh, the dialogue between Samuel and Saul at that turning point, to obey is better than sacrifice. We used to sing it in the church, you know, trust and obey, for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus, just to trust and obey. I don't think that just because we're New Testament believers, there aren't commands to obey. Uh, the New Testament tells us the Lord's commands are not burdensome. They're not bad things. When the Lord says, thou shalt not, it's sort of like a parent saying to a child, don't put your hand on that hot burner. And you say it loud enough and sternly enough to get their attention as they're reaching up to put their hand on the hot burner. No, stop, thou shalt not. Because you know better as a parent the pain that is coming. God's commands are not burdensome. And to obey him meticulously, again, you've got to know the word. 
And uh, to obey is better than any external show of religiosity. Only you and the Lord know what's, what's truly happening in your life. And then finally, I, I, I love the, uh, the idea of waiting patiently on God to act on your anointing. Again, da- David was anointed king, but he didn't rush to that throne too quickly. He couldn't. And there were years that went by before David was able to step into his destiny and, and fulfill all that God had planned for him, and he became the greatest king in Israel. In fact, there's a hotel that I'd love to stay in in Jerusalem. It's called the King David Hotel. Way too expensive, but it's a fabulous place because King David is revered in Jewish history. Perfect man? No. We're going to learn more about him in 2 Samuel and the Kings and the Chronicles and all of that. But uh, David was a man after God's own heart. Saul never was. Be a David, not a Saul. Actually, no. Better yet, just fix your eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. Uh, There are turning points that we'll all face, right? Nations face them. We're facing one in America right now. Churches are facing a turning point, Christian organizations, adoption agencies, foster care organizations, as the moral revolutionaries shove their demands in our faces. And that turning point is coming to your front door and to mine. And the question is, which way will we turn? And which way will America turn? Um, let, let, let's turn to God. Let's make sure that we stay on the ultimate road trip through the Bible. And by the way, it's not an eight-lane superhighway. No, that's where everybody else goes. And it requires eight, 10, 12, 14 lanes because that's where the crowd is. That's where the culture is. That's where everybody says you got to go. If you want to keep your job, if you want to keep your government contract, if you want to keep this, if you, if you, want to, if you don't want to be canceled, oh, get on the wide highway. No, the ultimate road trip through the Bible and the way to life, Jesus said, is narrow. You run the risk of being called a bigot, a Neanderthal, a whatever it is. Come on, get with the times. Let's be like all the other people and all the other nations. And there comes a turning point. I said earlier that if a turning point is is significant, there's no turning back. It's not exactly true. The God of the Bible will always let you come back. And, And with repentance, turn back toward him. The history of Israel going forward through one bad king after another, oh, nine out of ten of them did what was evil in the eyes of the Lord. And Samuel warned them about this. Painful times in in Israel's history. Every once in a while a good king would pop up, and we'll review some of this as we get further down uh, the road here. But for now, stay on the narrow road, and God will always honor that. Uh, Turn to Jesus. 
Turn your eyes upon Jesus, the old hymn says. Look full in his wonderful face. Fix your eyes on Jesus, the writer of Hebrews says, the author and the finisher of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross and despised the shame. Jesus says, if you want to be one of my followers, deny yourself, take up your cross daily, and follow me. That doesn't describe a very uh, easy life. The way of the cross never is, but the way of the cross is the way to eternal life, and the way of the cross is the way to the abundant life, and it always yields God's blessing when you do what is right, when you follow a conscience that is well-trained by the Lord, and you follow what you know to be the best and right thing because you're following the Word of God, despite what the crowd does, despite what the culture does. Thanks for stopping by for today's Something Good radio message. And Dr. Ron Jones joins me now. Ron, just a moment ago, you said something that seems, at least to me, of utmost importance. You said knowing the will of God is in direct relation to how well you know the Word of God. Let's explore that idea further as we wrap up this edition of Something Good Radio. This is what I love about God's Word, Brian. The Old Testament and the New Testament are in such perfect harmony. Uh, The Bible is about the grace of God the whole way through. Some may think that the Old Testament is all about law and justice and God being some sort of ruthless taskmaster. But it isn't. Uh, That's not a fair characterization of the Old Testament. Even the law itself was an act of grace. It gave God's people commands and guidelines to keep us from sin and depravity. It also prepared us for the one who would come later to fulfill the law on our behalf. So back to your question, Brian. Uh, This idea that knowing the Word of God helps us know the will of God, well, it's found right here in 1 Samuel. But it's um, also reinforced in the New Testament, perhaps most notably in Romans chapter 12 and verse 2, where it says, uh, do not be conformed to the image of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may prove what the good and acceptable will of God is. This renewing of our minds comes primarily from, and you probably already guessed this, saturating ourselves in the word of God. That has always been critical both in Old and New Testament times. So I want to urge our listeners today to consistently dive into the Word of God. Make it a habit. Meditate on Scripture. Memorize the Scriptures. If you want to know the will of God, get to know the Word of God. It was true then, it is true now, and there is no greater joy than being right in the center of God's will. That's Dr. Ron Jones with some great final thoughts on the relationship between knowing the Word of God and being able to discern the perfect will of God. Now, today's message is part of Ron's teaching series, Route 66, The Ultimate Road Trip Through the Bible. And as you may have heard, Ron has written two companion guides by the same title, a pair of beautifully designed hardcover volumes that cover both the Old and New Testaments and all eight road trips that he'll be taking you on right here on Something Good Radio. When you give your gift of $50 or more to support the media ministry of Something Good, Ron will gladly send you both volumes. 
Volumes. That's Volumes 1 and 2 of Ron's book, The Ultimate Road Trip Through the Bible. It's our way of saying thank you for your generous gift to support the ministry of Something Good Radio. Give online at somethinggoodradio.org or over the phone by calling our offices at 757-276-1099 or mail your gift to P.O. Box 6245, Virginia Beach, Virginia, 23456. Ron, tomorrow you move ahead in your series, Route 66, The Ultimate Road Trip Through the Bible. So tell us a little bit about that message as we wrap up today's Something Good radio broadcast. Brian, we talked a little about David over the past couple of days, but tomorrow and for the next two messages, we're going to dive deep into the life and times of King David, a man after God's own heart. What does that mean to be a man after God's own heart? Perhaps not exactly what you might think. Uh, We'll get into that subject and several others as we explore the 40-year reign of King David, which is really what the book of 2 Samuel is all about. That's where we're headed next time as I continue my teaching series, Route 66, The Ultimate Road Trip Through the Bible. Join us then for something good when Dr. Ron Jones shares his message, 2 Samuel, My Heart Like God's. For Ron and the entire team here at Something Good Radio, I'm Brian Davis. Thanks for listening.